you're passionate about transforming retail operations and improving performance, plus you're accountable for key change projects and programs in your company, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. Hi there, and welcome to the Retail Transformation Show. I'm your host, Oliver Banks, and I'm also your guide to successfully delivering your retail transformation. Welcome to episode number 124, number 124. Thanks for tuning in. And today we're going to be diving into a big focus area for many retailers right now, and that is how to become a data-driven retailer. Data is a huge focus for many retail companies right now, and it really reminds me of the book Omnichannel Retail by Tim Mason and Maya Knights. And Tim and Maya have this term which they use in the book, digitally enabled and data driven. And I think that's a really important term to consider, whether you're trying to become an omnichannel retailer or not, by the way. We are increasingly in a digitally enabled world and we're surrounded by data, and there's the opportunity to become data-driven to drive us forward. And if you'd like to find out more about omnichannel retail and that concept of being digitally enabled and data-driven, then I do encourage you to check out episode 30 and 31 of this podcast, where I sat down with the hugely experienced and insightful Tim Mason to explore omnichannel retail. But data-driven is an easy thing to say, right? But it turns out it's quite hard to actually truly become data-driven. So I guess let's start there. Why is it hard to become data-driven? Well, first and foremost, becoming data-driven is not just about data. When you actually step back from what that means, you've got to realise that there are elements of culture required too. And these are often overlooked. And you know what they say about culture eating strategy for breakfast, right? So if you truly want to become data-driven, you've got to have that embedded into your culture rather than just rather than just having a strategy that says we're going to become data-driven. It's hard because, you know, maybe you think you are already using data, but you have to ask yourself continually, are you maximizing the potential? Are you as data-driven as you could be or as you should be even? It's hard to be data-driven because you need to be open about what the data might say and that it may contradict you and your experience. Perhaps the world of data is putting you out of your comfort zone. Maybe it's an area that you don't know. And finally, becoming data-driven is hard because you have to ask yourself a very important question. Is the data driving you or are you driving the data? Essentially, are you defining the approach and then looking for data to justify or support your directional decision? Or are you truly, honestly going into the data to understand what it is telling you and then deciding what to do? So those are some of the challenges. And if you think there are other challenges, I'd love to hear from you. Do reach out oliver.banks at obandco.uk. And I'll make sure that I put that on the show notes page, which, by the way, today is obandco.uk slash 124. That's obandco.uk slash 124. And do, as I say, share with me what you think some of the challenges are, or perhaps some of the challenges you've experienced in becoming data-driven. And we'll see if we can find a way through those challenges for you. 
Now, on the topic of data, if you are a regular listener, then you know that I'm going to say this. So I thought, let's just get this straight out of the way <laughs> right, right early on in the episode. Data is only valuable if you do something with it, if you take action. Yes, it's great to have lots of data. Yes, it's great to be able to draw some really very interesting insights. But if you don't take the next step, which is to take action, then it's a nice to have, but it's not really doing anything for you. There's no, no point having data if it's not being used. And action is right there in the term data driven, right? If you don't have the action, you can be data rich. But if you don't act, you're not driven. Simple as that, as far as I can see it. Now, I'm sure you're with me on this. So that's good news. <laughs> and maybe you're feeling perhaps a little early on in your data journey. Maybe you think there is this huge opportunity and I don't really know how to get started. And that's okay. The good news is you are keen to get started. So I just wanted to share a couple of tips with you just to get that ball rolling. So I'd like you to think just for a moment. Maybe you think of footfall or, or web traffic as an indicator for sales, where if you increase footfall or traffic, you're very likely to increase sales. It's a numbers game, right? A game of statistics in that respect. Think of data in exactly the same way. If you use more data, you will become more data driven. It's as simple as that. Use more data, you will become more data driven. And once you've got started, adopt a continuous improvement mindset. Start somewhere and get better and get better and get better. So if you are really early on, like I say, just start using the data. See what it's going to tell you. And I'm sure you'll find the rest of the episode insightful as well. So I wanted to split up the tips today into three categories to help you become more data driven. First up is around the data itself. Secondly, we're going to be talking about the actions that it drives and the corresponding outcomes. And then finally, that huge piece around culture, the culture of the organization of the company. So let's start with the data itself. I'm going to make the leap of faith that you do have some data here. <laughs> it's kind of important if you want to become data driven. So we're not going to go into that. But you must think about how you can make that data accessible and understandable. Think about where that data tangibly is from a, a user's perspective, from someone in your company that is going to want to access and use that data. Think about how you can develop a single view of that data to make sure that there is an undisputed version of the data. You don't want to be comparing apples for oranges and all that. You want to make sure that there is some good training in there and that there are the tools, which we'll come back to in just a moment, and that there is documentation about what data is available and what each data source actually is, what it means. And you'll also want to make sure that the data is being governed correctly. And I would absolutely encourage you to go back to the previous episode, episode one, two, three, where Nicola Ascom, who's a data governance expert, explored different ways that you can do data governance effectively by defining out the policies, the processes and the roles and responsibilities. And Nicola shared some very useful examples where the wrong data sources have been used to make some huge decisions based on not understanding what the data is. So that data governance piece is really key. In terms of serving up the data in a more accessible way, you may want to look at business intelligence tools or BI tools. Maybe it's Power BI or Tableau or SAP Business Objects. 
or even Google Data Studio and many other different BI tools. Now here you want to think about access and understanding. Who has access? Because you don't want to be in a place where actually your BI is there, but it's locked down and not many people can really access it. To become data driven, you're going to want this across the whole organization. And we'll come back to that theme in the culture piece as well. But you've got to unlock your data. Sure, you may have concerns over privacy and security, and you've got to make sure that things are obviously locked down, um, particularly from a GDPR perspective. But you do need to begin to trust your workforce to access your data. And then people do need to understand what they're doing, understand how to harness the power of some of these tools. I have a sneaking suspicion that a lot of these tools are probably being used a bit like Excel. They're hugely powerful and you can do some amazing things, but many people are just using them to add one plus one and tell them it equals two. So think about how you can gain a greater understanding of these tools across your organization. It's also important when it comes to these BI tools to think about the visualization aspect as well. Being aesthetically pleasing does genuinely help. And I'll tell a little story about that in just a moment, but it makes it easier to understand if you can see the data rather than just read the data. So don't have it as lists of numbers or tables of numbers, but actually use it in trends, use it in graphs and charts so that that data is visual. You're also going to want to make sure that the data is being used at the right level. Zooming into the minutiae level of detail will mean that that data gets lumpy and it gets insignificant. And that was something that David Payne mentioned in episode 122, where he was mentioning about focusing in at the right level of detail and some of the challenges around if you don't focus in on the right level of detail for your data. And in particular, focusing on what is needed for the problem that you are trying to solve. Now, I wanted to tell you a quick story about making data visual so it can be easily understood by non-data savvy people. So I worked on, on a program to transform how the data was being used by the exec board and creating a new one page update on the key performance indicators. And I use that term in its non-acronym form, <laughs> because I think it's important that we do focus on the term key a lot. Make sure that they are the top priority items. So we had five items on this one particular dashboard. All were presented graphically. All were presented over a period of time and all were presented at different levels of the organization. So different people could see the data that was relevant for their area of focus. And this all meant that the data was very engaging. It was relevant. No longer did people have to look at different numbers, hoping that a key message was suddenly going to jump out at them. Having it as charts made it much more accessible. And frankly, having it as really good looking charts where the aesthetics were, were very tightly done was a real learning here for me because I, I love stuff to be uh, neat and tidy and, and looking good. But I was really surprised at how engaged people got because it was looking tidy. I know the majority of people are visual people, so they see and like straight lines and alignment and the right sizing and so on. But actually, there are a number of different people that if that is off, it can really distract from the key message. You may not hear about that distraction, but it's going on inside their head. And if it's going on inside their head and they're slightly annoyed by things not being aligned, then actually they're not focusing on what the data is saying, which is what's really important here, right? <laughs>
Also here, by bringing different reports and data sources together in one place that they'd never been before, it really helped to focus people's minds on what was most important. Having it as one page meant there was limited space and you had to devote a reasonable amount of space for each one rather than having tiny little postage stamp updates. And what that ultimately meant was that the entire organization became focused and the entire organization could take actions on the data that was relevant for them. So we'll get onto actions in just a little moment. Ultimately, in this data segment on your path to becoming data-driven, ask yourself, is the data relevant, timely, trustworthy, and engaging? Having data being relevant is about who it's for, who is the user of this particular data. Having it timely is respective of what time bound is. You don't want to just a very small time function, but also you don't want infinite time function because things change and you don't want very historic data unless there is a very specific reason that you're looking at it for. And of course, in our increasingly volatile world, we must think about if that timeline is relevant. There is likely very little point at looking at like for like or year on year data sources right now because the pandemic has distorted all of that for at least a couple of years. Trustworthy is around making sure that the data is what it is. There is integrity there. You know what it is. And really it's being governed well. And then engaging is all about making sure that people can understand and relate to that data. If they don't engage with it, they're not going to be able to get anything out of it. So let's move on to the next section, which is about action and outcome. You need to be thinking about having the right metrics or KPIs, key performance indicators, as I say, and do try and use that term key performance indicator just because it does focus the mind on the word key a little bit more rather than just, oh, it's a measure, so therefore it's a KPI. Your metrics do need to drive the right behaviors. They need to be avoiding to be gamed. You want to be focusing on what is most important. You want to make sure that you are not overwhelming people with, like I say, a million KPIs, right? Because which ones are key? I don't know. They're all key, aren't they? If they're KPIs. And you need to be able to understand the limits of your different metrics as well. What is good? What is acceptable? And that might not be the same for everyone. If you are looking at stores, there are a lot of differences between different geographic regions or different locations or even different store circumstances. If you're looking at different categories, there are huge variations depending on perhaps time of the year. Plenty of different variances across the different measures across the business. So do be careful that you understand what the limits are and what is reasonable and achievable. And I would absolutely encourage you to go and listen to episode 111, number 111, which was about defining your perfect KPIs. And once you have defined your perfect KPIs, you need to be thinking about the action. And I'd encourage you to think about five things for data-driven actions. Actions must be sensible, informed, intelligent, meaningful, and intentional. What do I mean by this? So sensible is about making sure that your actions are practical and reasonable. This is not about curing world hunger. And at the same time, it's not too vague. It's not just increased sales, right? A sensible action is a specific action. 
You want to make sure that your actions are informed. There is good knowledge of the topic before you decide the action. There are many things at play here, and the data may or may not be able to tell you all of these things. And if you don't have good knowledge of the topic or experience in the topic, then make sure that there is someone that is informed, that is able to help you guide the right action here. You want to make sure that the actions are intelligent, and by that, they should be data-based using a collection of different information sources or data sources or insights. And ultimately, that this intelligence will drive future knowledge and thus you'll be able to make more informed decisions in the future. The virtuous circle, essentially. You want to make sure your actions are meaningful. This means that they are sizable enough, but not too big. If you focus on a thousand tiny little actions, yes, they may have an effect. And yes, they may drive that performance increase that you are looking for. But it's going to be so hard to be able to make all of those things. And there are so many opportunities and so much confusion that will mean there are extra barriers in your way. Make sure that your actions are meaningful. And then finally, make sure that they are intentional. And here, this is about making a deliberate choice, even if it's choosing to do nothing with what you have found. Make that intentional choice. Don't just drift because you're not then being data driven. You're just data drifting. <laughs> so do think about how you can make your actions sensible, informed, intelligent, meaningful, and intentional. And then finally, let's dive into the culture and people side of things. If you are creating a data culture in your organization, this must be bigger than just IT. This must be bigger than just a data science team or an analytics team or a BI team. This must be your organization. And there are a number of different roles to consider as well. And again, I would implore you to go and check out episode 123 with Nicola Ascom, where she did label out six different roles for data across your organization. And many people are going to be picking up one of these roles. It's critically important for the organizational leadership to really, truly embrace data as well. Whilst you can create a groundswell in becoming data driven, it's a lot easier if all levels are on the route to becoming data-driven as well, as I'm sure you can imagine. And it's important that leadership truly do embrace data rather than just saying it and never really referring to it. And so what does this embracing look like? Well, it means being interested. It means asking about data. It means inquiring what the data is, what it means, what it doesn't mean. Ask for the alternatives. Don't accept everything as true. No one's trying to pull the wool over the eyes, but there are always different things. Using data is not necessarily simple maths, right? There are many ways of skinning the cat, so to speak. And I'd really encourage you to go and listen to the episode with Ian Shepard. That was episode 120, and it was called Understanding Data and Data Science. And if you did enjoy that, then do go and check out Ian's book as well called The Average is Always Wrong. It's a brilliant primer for the whole data topic. And I really would encourage you to go and check that one out. So that's Ian Shepard and his book, The Average is Always Wrong. Next up, as you're thinking about building a culture to support being data driven, think about how to be curious. Think about that word curious. What does that really mean to you, to your organization? For me, it's about blending 
gut feel and experience with what the data is telling you. Ask why between the real world and the data. You know, if the data is telling you something, ask why that is. Ask what's happening in the real world that drives that data. Equally, if you're seeing something in the real world, ask why and dive into the data to see what is driving that or causing that or what are the implications of that real world impact. And being curious is really going to help you to make sure that you do understand the differences between correlation and causation, which was a term that Ian and I spoke about in that episode and also Ian uh, wrote about in his book as well. So do go and check that out. A very important topic, the difference between correlation and causation there. And then finally, an idea to help build this data-driven culture is about sharing best practice. And this has got to be bigger than just lessons learned, which, let's be honest, sometimes do get forgotten about, right? For me, what good looks like here is about using and sharing examples and case studies from within your organization of how data has been used to drive a business improvement. Which data was used? How did you go about it? What were some of the challenges? What were the benefits? What were some of the unforeseen elements that you you didn't realize were going to happen, but did for good or bad reasons and with good or bad implications. When you're thinking about sharing best practice, think about how your data scientists and your data analysts can be better networked across the organization. How could you actually use some data reverse mentoring to help encourage that leadership engagement as well as connect the dots between different levels of the organization, different skill sets. And ultimately, if you are sharing best practice, if you are connecting dots through the organization, you are going to be able to create a better organizational understanding of how to become data-driven. There will be a clearer approach. There will be a clearer understanding of the logic that is used. And ultimately, you will be on the path to becoming data-driven because everyone is talking about it. And just as we said right at the early on, the more you use data, the more you become data-driven. And that's really, I suppose, a key takeaway here. Don't shy away from the data. Make sure you use it. Practice. Get better. And you will absolutely be on the path to becoming more data-driven. Now, there were a number of different episodes which I did reference through the course of this episode, and I do encourage you to go back and check them out. I will put the links to all of those on the show notes page, which you can find at obandco.uk slash 124. And whilst you are over there, why not sign up for the Retail Transformation Briefing, which is a free update into your inbox every single week giving you the retail transformation headlines, giving you access to key insight and highlighting great conversations from around the retail industry. You can sign up. Like I say, it's absolutely free. And if you don't like it, you can unsubscribe anytime you want. <laughs> uh, obandco.uk slash 124 for that. And finally, I'd love to hear your thoughts. What would help to make your organization more data-driven? Or what have you found has made your organization more data-driven. I would love to hear from you if you are trying to make your organization more data-driven and help understand some of the challenges that you are facing. And we'll see if we can find a solution for you. Reach out oliver.banks at obandco.uk. Thanks for tuning in today. And I'll look forward to joining you on another episode very, very soon. Bye for now. 